0: Seni, welcome to The Art of Otherness, Conversations on Fearless Authenticity. Jack Sassmelch is a neurodiversity advocate, technology leader and inventor. He believes technology should enhance human life. His work is around bringing neurodivergent thinking into organizations. Here's our conversation on neurodiversity, autism and creativity as a service.
1: Oh, sorry, yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, so um, my name uh, is uh, Jack Stasnych. Um, I've been uh, working in the uh, technology sector for well 25 years plus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, usually working on on large scale, complex uh, software engineering um, endeavours uh, to make the delivery of software, I guess, more reliable and of higher quality. Uh, throughout my Years I've done everything from uh, being a programmer through to leading teams through to managing teams uh, and working with you know small scale and monstrously large scale uh, software engineering projects. Um, I'm a father of one, Um, I have a son who's uh, on the spectrum, and um, as we say in our household, we don't do normal in our household,
2: Um,
1: (laughs) and um, yeah, so uh, that's. That's basically me uh, married one son who's going great guns and um, yeah uh, that's that's really I guess that's me really.
2: Awesome. <laughs> um, I'm
1: a bit of a closet inventor if you like. I've uh, invented a few few things and um, basically if I'm not learning I'm not happy so I'm always um, I'm always thinking about something.
0: <laughs> oh what have you invented? I'm curious.
1: Oh, okay, um, so a uh, couple of things. Uh, one of them is actually an innovative sit to stand desk.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: um, if you think of the sit to stand uh, desks that are, are sold in the marketplace and that sort of thing, uh, they're actually just tables. Yeah. Um, there's no real place to store things. So um, this design of desk, uh, which I have the patent out on, um, basically uh, has. Uh, uh, fold-back lids on the top so and power provided to the inside of the desk. So all your peripherals and that sort of thing, instead of taking up desk space, are actually in, inside the desk running away um, and sort of out of the way, which um, gives your desk a nice clean feel. Um, the reason I, I sort of took that one through to market, and it's a very mm-hmm. small market uh, at this stage, uh, was very much just to get the idea out of my head and get through that... Uh, innovative process for a physical product. Um, and yes, I've, I've learned a lot of stuff on the way. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I should actually talk to you in a different space about like being an inventor and building an actual physical product because <laughs> that's well, an exciting journey as well. Um, well, yeah, it is. Um, I, uh, I've always had, for
1: some reason, the ideas I come up with always seem to be Um, around that sort of human computer interface, if you like. So, Mm. um, you know, uh, so even at university back last century, there you go, that gives you a clue how old I am. Um, You know, I had an idea for, it's quite interesting. If if you look at, say, the standard 101 key US keyboard with the new keypad on the right, Mm -hmm. um, it's actually better suited for left-handed people than right-handed people. uh, because uh, the numeric keypad, if it was better suited for uh, right-handed people, would actually be on the other side. Ah, uh, because normally okay. you have your mouse in your right hand, um, in, in your dominant hand, if you like. Um, and if you go back, the reason for that is because when the keyboard was invented, no one used mice. So, um, so yeah. So uh, for some reason, a lot of the ideas I come up with uh, are, I guess, solving problems um, and that, I guess, physical realm between, you know, the human being and, and the system that they're interacting
0: with. Yeah. And I think I for, for me also being in the technology space, that is, um, is, I'm always thinking about that, like technology is there to kind of like enhance um, humans. And for me, I think mm-hmm. about it more even in the social kind of like, social interactions and how we can be better people to each other and technology being in that space where it's not just about the individual and what you can kind of like um, make money out of type of, so what type of problems are we solving in our society and having that as, you know, a value point for me is like, you know, it's it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate belief of what technology should be for me. I, I
1: absolutely agree, and if you think about it, technology is really all about communication. Whether mm. it's communication between switches and computer components or between individuals over social media, it's it's all about those lines of communication um and yeah there's always that uh, you know what is going to be the positive impact versus the you know sometimes the negative impact of of changes in technology within our society i mean um and you know this will lead into the conversation later on as well i mean i, mm-hmm. I remember in the 1990s people were raising concerns about how many you know, I guess brilliant minds and highly creative people who were getting sucked into the tech sector, mm. and people were wondering, you know, how many, how many, you know, uh, world-leading, I don't know, philosophers or psychologists or something like that, are we missing out on because, you know, this industry is, is becoming so attractive to, to, um, to people who are effectively uh, creative, right? Um, yeah. And that will lead into, you know, some of our discussions about biodiversity, which I'm sure are coming up as well. Um, So, yeah, um, and it is, you know, anyone who's been on a large-scale project will, will, you know, if they're being honest, I will say it's organized chaos, right?
2: Um,
1: (laughs) Always. Always, you know, and even when you do everything right, you know, it's it's really unforgiving, you know, uh, particularly when you're doing things at scale. Um, And so, you know, I've been quite fortunate in the sense that with my roles, um, I've been working very much at the holistic level. Mm. Um, So, you know, I could actually, you know, tie things together as far as, you know, if this group were doing something slightly differently, it will help this group and that group and so on and so forth. And so I've always been, you know, I've... um, I've always been one of these people that I, I need to understand what's behind something. And you know, I'm not the sort of person that will say, go to a conference and somebody stands up there and says, hey, we did this on, on Netflix or something like that. Yeah. And then come back and say, well, we're going to do that, unless I actually understand what's behind it and, you know, what needed to be in place.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in order
1: for that to succeed.
0: Exactly. Um, and yeah. also, uh, what needs to be different for you? Because what they did at Netflix, Will not be, maybe the whole of it is not what you need. You just need a part of it, and then you evolve the rest according to what your organization and your team structures are like. I find sometimes, like for the people that um, organizations fall into, is you just kind of like cookie cut and you think whatever works there will work for us here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's interesting within the autistic community, you know, one of the things uh, quite a few um, artists, you know, uh, mention is that, you know, sometimes they see the world as, as, you know, sort of full of these copy and paste people, you know, trying mm. to copy, copy something someone else has done or imitating what someone else has done without really taking the time to do their homework to actually understand what's, what actually needs to be in place for that to of
2: yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, I think particularly in the tech, tech sector, I mean, you know, it's a bit of a goldfish bowl in the sense that, you know, with the problems that have plagued, you know, particularly software engineering for the last uh, 20 to 30 years, you know, they they haven't really improved that much. Yes. <laughs> we're still very making the true. same mistakes. Yeah. Um, and whilst it's harder to correct those mistakes, um, because, you know, we're talking about a very complex sort of system, you know. I've been saying for quite a long time, you know, we should have made a lot more progress than we have now. And, and you know, there are no silver bullets because every is different. The capabilities of the people um, are different. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes within the one organisation, you have, you know, like the gun gun developers who really want, you know, maximum flexibility, but then, then you've got maybe some graduates who are, you know, just finding their way through, you know. So, yeah, I, I can tell that you've
0: been working in a similar sort of realm. Of, yes. It's a highly complex thing. Yeah, definitely. I, I like your um your, what you mentioned before, creativity as a service. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to start reusing that. Um, but tell me more about neurodiversity, too, for me, kind of like just, um, this is a new concept for me. And yeah. since I've been reading about it, um, just from kind of like researching when I was um, preparing to have a chat with you, I was like, mm. this is actually like, for me as a concept of like thinking about how different people, like their mental models and how they function and how they learn um, mm. is not something that I've actually thought about on a whole scale of thinking when I'm thinking about teams. I've had teams where we've had to go and do like the Maya Briggs and so you can know that, oh, this one is a whatever, introvert, extrovert. I actually don't personally think they they are very useful, um, Mm. apart from really sometimes bringing up people's insecurities or having people to point at because of (laughs) who they are. But tell me about how neurodiversity, how first what the concept is and how it works in an organization, like how do you implement creativity as a service?
2: Yeah. Okay. So
1: um, neurodiversity is above all else, it's an idea. Okay. Mm. It's not, um, but it's actually quite a, when I explain it, it's going to sound very simple. But the ramifications that it has, and I believe they're all positive with this, Mm -hmm. um, can be quite profound um, within organisations and even within society in general. Um, And so neurodiversity is basically the concept that neurological differences are the result of natural, normal variations in the human genome. Mm -hmm. So if we think of... um, people who think and learn differently, which current estimates are putting that at about 1 in 10 people. The vast majority of whom have no idea that they actually think and learn radically differently to the general population. Mm. Um, That includes people who, uh, say, have dyslexia, uh, dyspraxia, um, uh, ADHD and autism, Mm -hmm. um, and a whole host of other things. what it is is it's a genetic difference in the way the brain is wired. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes that that can uh, result in, or or sometimes it can result in having uh, coexisting conditions, which you know can be, I guess, uh, in some senses regarded as a disability. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the key key thing here is that there's actually already a large percentage of the population who actually are, say, on the autistic spectrum, as an example, who have led very successful lives um, and who have never actually really known that that they actually do think and learn very differently. Mm,
2: Um,
1: And the the result of that in the workplace is um, effectively um, there's an increased cognitive load on those people So if we take, say, an open office environment that just gets implemented, um, some of these people may find that they are, say, getting extremely exhausted and they don't know why. Mm. Um, So i backtrack a little bit here. Um, When I was uh, managing a team of software content managers, we had about 10 people, very clear-up people. Um, Whenever I would hire someone, if I had two reasonably equal candidates, I would pick the one that was the most different to the rest of my team. And yep. so I was looking for people who thought differently or came from different backgrounds, okay? Mm.
2: Um,
1: and that's just what I did. And and what happened was about, you know, 12 months in, other groups were referring to us as like an eclectic team. Uh, we were, we preferred the term freaks. Um mm. And what happened about six months after that, literally overnight, um, the amount of innovation out of my team just exploded, Um, absolutely exploded. Yeah. And as a manager at the time, I I had no idea why, okay? And I was like, well, that's good. I did not change anything. But I was actually studying psychology at the time, so I had access to uh, the research papers through the university. Um, And that's where I discovered the very, very strong correlation between diverse teams, teams that think in a diverse way, and innovation, okay? And it's just been proven time and time and time again. But that in itself, as it turns out, isn't quite enough. What you also need to provide is a psychologically safe environment for them to, I guess, bloom, if you like. And I've been doing that. I mean, they were referring to me as their shit umbrella.
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: okay, um, And so I kind of accidentally stumbled across, I guess, a recipe or at least um, a contributory recipe to um, having an innovative team. Um, and that's why I say that innovation is actually a byproduct of the culture. Mm. Now, the key thing here is um, to give you an example of, of what uh, some of these work environments are actually doing to some people. Mm. One of my guys he had been working for this company for 36 years.
2: He yes. was a member
1: of Mensa. This guy, was he was smart. And he had to be smart in this sort of, sort of area, right? Um, and when we moved into an open office environment, he counted up to me one day and he said, Jack, um, we've got to do something about this open office environment. I said, okay, what's going on? And he, and he confided to me that he was Two times a day, at least two times a day, he was going to the men's toilets and boiling his eyes out. Mm. And you're talking about a man in his early 50s, right? And what it was is because he, you know, he probably was, um, you know, he's definitely neurodivergent, mm. uh, and he probably was autistic. All these background noises, okay, uh, uh, you know, they're a major, major distraction, okay? Yeah. And so when you're... When you're having to block that out, and most people who don't know that they're on the spectrum actually uh, do what's called masking, where they, their intellect actually enables them to sort of filter that out. Okay, mm. um, that comes at an increased cognitive load, and it's actually one of the reasons why a lot of autists, as as an example, have higher incidences of anxiety, mm. um, and burnout and that sort of stuff. And it's it's like the <laughs> it's a capability that they've got, and I'll get to the capabilities shortly. Um, when they're put into certain environments, okay, um, that can, you know, it, it can kind of cripple them, right, yeah. um, to, to, to put it bluntly. Now, of course, you know, I raised an oh s incident, and I tried to escalate it and said, guys, you know, at least can we do some, put in some soundproofing or, or something, right? Mm. And the answer came back, oh, no, it's all too hard, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of a paradox, you know. Companies want to hire the smart people, but then they want them to look and behave just like everybody else. Yeah.
0: And um, if you ex- want
1: that, hire a rugby team and good luck, you know. Um, yeah you know, there, there are accommodations that need to come with the capability, right? Which is, you know, part of the message of
2: what
0: mm. saying. It, you saying. You bring up an interesting point here in that when you're kind of like trying to look at holistically, what's a psychologically safe place for people? And also how do you reduce that cognitive load? How do you reduce the stress of someone just in the open space They can't think properly. There's too much noise and it's actually impacting them physically, you know, which is, you know, physically they're just like, I can't handle this. I'm going to go to the bathroom and, you know, just I need two seconds to myself. And also it's reducing their creativity because now their body is concentrating on dealing with this stressful situation. Um, That's right. And then when it comes to be like, all right, so let's find a way of how to make this differently because now we're like in that cookie cutter world. It's like, well, everybody sits in this open space. This is what this organization in fits in. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, there's a door. There's the door. It, yeah. it, it's literally what you're telling people.
1: Yes. So, so this is exactly the point and, the, and this is what I've, I've decided I'm very much dedicating myself to now which is, uh, first of all, because um, it's, it's a very complex issue, right? So if we mm. take autism, let's just say one in ten people are autistic, and, and indications are, um, coming out of the UK, that it's probably a 50-50 split between male and female. Yeah, um, It's just that uh, a lot of women have not been diagnosed because the assumption previously was it was predominantly a male thing, mm. uh, which turns out to be incorrect. Um uh, but where I'm driving at, um, at the moment is helping organizations to understand where within their organization they're most likely to have high concentrations of people who do think and learn differently. Mm. And I can tell you there are going to be areas where independent thinking is essential, where creativity helps. Okay? You will f- already find within your organization, you have concentrations of people who Probably are on the autistic spectrum who don't know it, okay, mm-hmm. and don't understand why, you know, why they're not feeling like they fit in, or why they, uh, you know, why they're finding their work environment so exhausting, right? Um, and it's really important that we we do this in a way that respects people's privacy. You know, yeah. Just because someone might be, say, on the spectrum, they may not be ready to process that. No. They may not, you know, and definitely anyone who, who is neurodivergent, the choice is purely up to them as to whether they want to come out. And within the autistic community, that's how they refer to it as coming out, which is mm. it, it's interesting in and of itself. And so the idea here is helping to identify the areas where you've got higher concentrations of people and just drawing attention to the fact that, okay, if these guys are complaining about something in their work environment and that sort of thing, don't just pass it off as just, oh, you know, the engineers are whinging or, or whatever. There may actually be something deeper there.
2: And um, when we actually
1: do make decisions that affect the way people work or the environment that people work in, we need to think about the way our people think, right? Yeah. Because the, the situation that's happening right now Is, you know, um, a lot of the um, charities that say work on, um, say, getting um, autists, you know, into paid employment or working with organizations so that, you know, someone who's maybe dyslexic can, you know, get through the interview process and that sort of stuff. They're focusing on getting a few people in the front door.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But then what happens when they get in the door? Yeah.
0: And
1: that's where a lot
0: of people get lost, right? In a lot of, what I have found as well in, in a lot of these diversity conversation, it's about get them through the door, get them through the door. Oh, we have these numbers through the door, but where's the progression? How are you supporting them inside? Mm. And that's an important aspect because that's where people are just kind of like, oh, it's too hard. I'm out.
1: Exactly. And there's another, another point to this as well, which is with, you know, and, you know, I'm pro all forms of diversity. what in 50 years time we're not going to be where we need to be now okay and the reason i say that is because when we actually pick a particular segment okay and easy easy to classify segment Mm. it's very difficult to make things fair on one group without at at least being seen less fair on others okay the beauty of neurodiversity is is it's actually a concept Companies want diversity um, in the first place. Well, if the more diverse your team is from as many measures as you can—socioeconomic background, mm-hmm. race, gender, uh, sexuality, etc., etc., etc.—the more different perspectives you're going to have on a problem. Okay? Yeah. Um, if you hire your mates from the rugby team, okay. Um, guess what? You're probably all going to be thinking in a very similar way. Okay? Mm-hmm. You're just and thinking about you, the rugby way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and and if you think, you know, there, there are a lot of, you know, there has been this sort of mantra in the past of, of and it still exists today, where oh well, we don't want to hire that person because they don't look like they'll fit in with the team or they're not a team player or they are a bit odd. Mm. Um, and so, so a lot of the times, you know, in the hiring process, that they sort of fall back on the whatever makes me feel most comfortable. But yeah. here's, the, here's the thing that's come out of the autistic community: they're quite right when they're actually saying that. Okay, if I if I rock backwards and forwards when I'm thinking, or I'm running backwards and forwards, or flapping my hands when I'm thinking, you know what? If you're feeling uncomfortable, you're the one with the problem, right? And it's quite a confronting thing to think about, right? Because, you know, a lot of people are not exposed to to this and they're also not necessarily aware of the huge potential that comes from it. Um, if you look at throughout history, and, you know, obviously we don't have diagnoses for, you know, people like Mozart or Cavendish and that sort of thing, but there's enough information there that really it really looks like a lot of the people who came up with those groundbreaking ideas were probably on the autistic spectrum. Yeah. And even if they weren't, their brains were thinking radically differently to anyone else's. And you know what, that's a good thing. That's what we need more of. Yeah. as far as the, the day-to-day uh, sort of repetitive work is concerned, well, guess what, automation's gonna take that. It already is, okay? If we want to be able to survive and thrive, you need to be able to create and innovate. And what I'm saying here is a lot of organizations have already got extremely creative people who think in very, very different ways who quite often, because they're not even aware of it, um, are actually but- pinned into these boxes or these yeah. categories. Okay? And there's huge potential there um, for them to do Was actually uh, took a more open mind to the idea of diversity of thought is not only uh, wanted but it's actually necessary, it's
0: necessary. Uh, and it's good yeah. business to do so. Yeah, what opportunities do you think um, are there for leaders to really put this as you know, kind of like forefront of their leadership of their hiring? Because I know when mm. you're talking when you were a people manager and you were hiring, you like intentionally kind of put people in your team that you thought thought differently and like that was intentional. Like what type of um, opportunities is there for leaders and how do you pick that this person thinks differently from the rest of your team?
1: Yep, um, so, uh this is this is an area that needs a lot more work okay mm. as far as how do we train our leaders to um, who you know we've got multiple generations of leaders now who are very focused on teamwork and mm-hmm. everybody fitting in with the team and 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 that sort of stuff which is actually you know um, in its worst manifestation you know you end up with grouping mm. um, the the key thing uh, with enabling um, I guess, rec- you know, people in a, in a recruitment position is, first of all, their own understanding of these things, okay? So when a lot of people say think of autism, they think of, um, quite often they might think of the film Rayman, Man, okay, um, from in the, in the early 1990s. Now, autists are savants. Not all of them have a magic gift that they can bring out at parties, okay? Um, but they do think and learn very differently. And that can pose some challenges. So it it might actually mean that, you know, if you're going to put them in something where you're changing your mind every five seconds, they're going to struggle, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: Or or not, okay? There's a saying within the autistic community that, you know, if you've met one person with autism, you've just met one variant of autism. You know, They're, they're so completely unique from each other. But if you want to actually look at some of the potential along these lines, um, sometimes the, the desire or the will to um, fit in socially, okay, um, quite often does not override what's right or wrong. Mm. So it's an example. Um, in psychology, there are the Ash Conformity Studies, okay, and they basically get someone in with five actors and they show them all five lines and one of them slightly shorter than the other. And it goes around all the actors first. And they asked the question, are these lines the same? And all the actors say they're the same. Mm. And what they found is more than 70% of the people who, you know, when it came to them, even though they could see one of those lines were shorter, they would actually say that all those lines were the same. Okay.
2: And the Why? reason is, is
1: that, yeah, the reason is, is because they didn't want to um, pay the social price right? uh,
2: of, okay. of
1: not conforming, right? But the interesting thing is is when they do that with autists, almost hardly any autist would actually lie about the line. To them it's black and white. Yeah. Mm. I don't the 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 penalty of, you know, social acceptance comes very much further down the track. Now you're gonna ask the question, if we had more autists on I don't know, in senior management or a board level, and trust me, we've probably already got a, got quite a few of them anyway. Um, maybe we might have more institu- institutions that aren't—I don't know—selling um, financial service consulting yes. to dead people for seven years. More
0: transparency, right? yeah.
1: Exactly, because if, if something is wrong, you know they will object to it, and and you know if someone someone lies um, and that sort of stuff, you talk to them talking about people who are processing so much because you know they're not taking things at face value they they have to understand what's behind the scenes mm. and so when you when they've, when they encounter people who are say uh, deliberately misleading people that just adds adds a whole degree of complexity and, and it's you know very 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 irritating <laughs> to, to a lot of people on the spectrum um, and so So when you look at these things, I mean, you know, uh, people who do think and learn differently. Same with, you know, uh, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. They've always been around throughout history. Yeah. Um, You know, I can almost get, I can tell you that, you know, whether they were autistic or not, who whoever the cave person was, man or woman, who invented the wheel. By definition, they were not thinking the same way as the rest of the people around mm-hmm. them, and that helped, right? But they they wouldn't have been able to do it on their own, okay? They need the support, okay? They need, and really, a lot of that support just comes from awareness. Yeah. If people have, um, it's, you know, where I think we need to get to with all of this, and the psych profession's already started to move in the right direction uh, when they changed the diagnostic criteria of um, uh, the autistic spectrum, um, oh, I think it was about six or seven years ago. Ironically, they changed it to what Hans Asperger dis- defined in the 30s and 40s. Oh. <laughs> A whole nother topic, right? <laughs> um, uh you know, where I would like to see this come to is we just have this view of, okay, we have neurodivergent people. Mm-hmm. So one in 10 people, if that's what it turns out to be, one in 10 people are neurodivergent. They think and learn differently. That's a good thing, right?
2: Mm. Um,
1: that's a valued thing. Um, and if we can actually move away from the pathologization of these, so, you know, people end up with the letters of their alphabet of the alphabet from the site profession, you know I'm OCD, ADHD, mm. uh, dyspraxia, you know dyslexic, autist, blah blah blah. You know those labels are, are, are you know, they, they have meaning, um, but at the end of the day, each person who is neurodivergent is entirely unique, just like everybody else is entirely unique. Yes. Yeah. It's just that some of those some of those traits that come with that. Um, Are, I guess, uh, not something people are necessarily as familiar with, um, unless they've got someone in their family who is on the spectrum or something along those
0: lines. Um, I I totally kind of like um, really get your point about awareness because I feel Mm. as if sometimes, like you have mentioned, the burden is on those who have the. the lived experience so you have someone in your family or you have a friend or so then it's kind of like you're the one who's kind of like raising their awareness and da 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 but i think what you're doing even with slip innovation is bringing that awareness outside from the person who's kind of like you're the one who is burdened and so you know it's very close to you but bringing that awareness because i believe that awareness like some people are just completely clueless in their little you know we all have our little bubbles that we live in and so i always bring it back to me as an individual in the workplace what should yes. i be doing better um do you have any thoughts because we've talked about leaders and what oh, yeah. they should be doing about us as individuals in organizations to kind of like raise awareness in our teams or some things that we need to be thinking about?
1: Yep. Oh, absolutely. So um, the big thing here um, is, well, okay, if we take the family, right?
2: Family Mm. comes,
1: the word family comes from familiar. Okay. Mm. We all, everybody, tends to surround ourselves with people who more or less think in a similar way to us a lot of the time.
2: Mm. We've
1: always got some, some people who are you know, just a little bit out there or something, but generally speaking, it's within our culture and it's within our familiar unit, okay? And that gives us a degree of, I guess, certainty, right? And, of course, what people do for people who are outside of what they're familiar with um, in order to start classifying them, they come up with stereotypes, okay? Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of the stereotypes around, say, autism and that sort of thing are, first of all, very, very wrong, um, and second of all, are very, very damaging, okay?
2: Mm. So,
1: so the key, key point here for everybody is to acknowledge that I think differently, you think differently, and when I go into a workplace, I'm going to be exposed to... A lot of people who have come from different cultures, different experiences, and who we think radically differently to anything I've ever experienced before. Mm. And whether that, that has a positive impact is with conflict resolution, right?
0: I think like what you're talking about from a conflict resolution perspective, you, you get, um, I, I think if you come with that mindset of everybody acknowledging that you think and having that at the front of your mind, you get, if somebody says something that you feel quite offended about, you get to that conversation of, hey, that thing that you said, that was not right, blah, blah, blah. This is the reason. Um, in a more, I guess, it, in a less aggressive, judgmental type of, you know, um yeah. Otherwise, you just kind of like, you can go in and just be highly offended, though some people are highly offending people. But I I think it it brings you to a place where you can actually discuss things from not a place of like anger and judgment and trying to kind of like pick this person as they've done the wrong thing. They are a wrong person. And just on the thing that you did and that you talked about that thing was wrong. So you're kind of like separating um,
1: the two. Or even better, do you realise what you just said I, I actually found really offensive? Mm. And and actually being in a psychologically safe environment for people to be able to say that, because yeah. this is a large part of it. It, it does come down to, to the leadership and management of these organisations. Mm. The, the best thing they can do for their teams is to provide a psychologically safe environment where you know, mis- it's not a blame and bash culture. It's not a, you know, unpredictable sort of environment for people where, you know, they don't know whether they're going to stuff up. I mean, honestly, I don't think anybody in the professional world goes into work each day thinking, hey, I'm going to do a really crap job today.
0: yeah <laughs> um, Most people yeah. are good intentioned and want to give their best effort.
1: Exactly. And sometimes the way they go about it, not necessarily the best. Okay, so that's a learning exercise, but it's not not an excuse for um, people to go around. Um, you know, personally, I, I find the corporate corporate environment having been in it for a very long time now. Um, you know, I I still don't get my head around whilst whilst I understand, I guess the reason why businesses think this way. But you know, to me, a business is there to compete with their competitors mm. to actually have individuals, uh, individual groups competing with each other, you know, for funding or um, status or something on those lines, let alone individuals within the team to compete with each other in order to get their bonus or something. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. I really yeah. don't get that at all. And I actually see it as whilst, you know, the logic behind it is so, you know, so the fittest rise to the top. Well, you know, if we look at our society at the moment and the quality of the leaders that we, we have within Australian society at the moment, yeah. it's what I, I don't think the best people are rising to the top. I think the most competitive people are rising to the top. Mm. And I think there's a big difference there.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: yeah and without, so, you know, like,
0: like that culture really breeds some, you know, some workplaces that are quite toxic in breeding that competition, that. You know bullying or whatever shaming people who are not as you know driven about something or they're not as cunning to get to the top type of thing and again for me it goes back to what you were initially talking about when you say it is about making sure that we don't fall into that group think cookie cutter um yes. acknowledging that we're all different and we can think differently and giving people the psychological safety Um, because I do believe like it is like a heavy load um, that we kind of like put on people to say, all right, because you have said you are this thing and we're putting you in this box, so now you carry the burden of everyone. Yes,
2: absolutely.
1: the most productive environment I ever worked in, okay. Was actually a company called Compact Computer Corp um, in Christchurch. We had an application development centre there. And um, it was, uh, there were many factors which made it so successful. And we're talking about, I think it was a 97% success rate with customer development on time on budget. Wow. So basically unheard of,
0: right? That is very rare. And
1: I keep referring back to it as, you know, as I get to more environments, I keep looking back at what made it work. And there was an unwritten rule there, okay? It was everybody leaves their ego at the door,
2: okay? Mm. Now, everyone
1: was a contractor, but we weren't paid contractor rates, okay? There were people who'd been contractors for 20 years, sort of thing. Um, And it was really quite interesting because it didn't matter how good you were it didn't matter, um, you know, whether you had a PhD or whether you are smoozing with the right people. If your unfulfilled ego was getting in the way, okay, of, of, of anything, really, okay, if you were not able to put your ego in its box, your contract wouldn't be renewed, right? Yeah. And so over time, they built up this core capability of people who really knew their stuff, Got along with you know got along with with everyone else were really innovative very accepting of differences um, different ways of thinking and and that sort of stuff and, and a very fun group of people to be around um, and when you know there was someone who was I guess uh, you know one of those ambitious types okay more more sort of image over substance okay Nobody even stressed out
0: about it because they knew that the contract wasn't going to be It wasn't going to be, be, yeah, yeah. Um, And I I, I think, like, what you're saying there, again, for me comes back to, like, leadership and not encouraging bad behaviour or not encouraging, like, personalities that are just toxic to the uh, workplace. And you just know, like... Like you're saying, you had a really high, I have never kind of like seen like teams that actually, especially in technology that are Mm. that efficient, but it's also like the culture of how you're working. So people are kind of like, this is not tolerated here and that's it. You you put the bottom line there. You just don't say it. You, You actually do something about it.
1: Yeah, correct, and and don't put it in the too hard basket, and and you know, in my mind, a lot of this stuff, you know, I think HR groups really need to step up to the plate and and really um, enable um, everybody within the organisation to first of all understand what neurodiversity is mm-hmm. and its implications, to to give people the freedom to 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 um, I guess. Uh, understand that they think differently and other people think differently and everybody has a has a role to play I mean you know a lot of this lot of the stuff around uh, mental illness and that sort of thing we're progressively changing it so that you know people are getting a, the idea that you know somebody who's uh, feeling depressed or has anxiety it uh, should be treated the same as you know going to the doctor because you've got the flu right
2: yeah.
1: um, that's the way society needs to look at these things, because I can tell you, with with the diagnostic criteria within psychology at the moment, I would um, maybe a bit tongue in cheek here, but I just think we've got a categorization for every single one of us. Yes, <laughs> and <laughs> you... absolutely everybody. Yeah. If
0: you
1: want to label? There's probably one there with your name with all over, right?
0: Definitely, and I think it is about normalising, right? Like you thing it is about just saying oh the person who has um, autism or is dyslexic they they're just a variant but it's normal yeah. and it's okay because we don't see it as normal, that's where Mm. the problem comes in because we're just saying, oh, no, no, no. So that's strange. That's not the corner there. That's weird. Oh, okay. Or there's something wrong here. You should be in this box. And there is something about normalizing and saying, hey, it's okay. This is just a different aspect of who this person is. And that is okay as well. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I hold the view. I mean, you know, there's no such thing as normal anyway, but, you know, who on earth would want to be normal? Yeah. What business wants to be normal? I mean, seriously, (laughs) if you really want to compete as a business, uh, probably the the best recipe for failure is trying to be normal and try and copy what everyone else is doing. And unfortunately, a lot of companies do that. Um, Lisa,
0: thank you so much for your time. I have learned so much.
1: and, (laughs) Um, And just... Just for the, for the listeners here as well, autcollab.org, um, um, I'm sure you'll provide the link. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually um, uh, part of what s 3 m do um, around uh, sort of autism um, and neurodiversity. There's some fantastic content there, um, really worth taking a look at. Um, and likewise, you know, um, right now, as far as the idea of neurodiversity, it's... it's from my perspective, it's time to wave the flag. It's time to get that message out there, mm. um, because I see it as, as a uh, a diversity perspective, which actually helps all forms of diversity, and is very very closely tied to um, business success. Um, and uh, you know, I with this one, I actually don't see anyone losing, right? Mm. Which is it's very rare you encounter ideas like that. Yes. Yeah. So, Thank you very much. Um, I really enjoyed
0: great. the conversation. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you to Jack for spending time with us. This wisdom is not meant for your ears only. Share it with your circle. Thank you for listening. Till next time, Shale Nippo, stay wise, stay connected.